uh, Cook is playing because the Raiders Denver Broncos beat the absolute shit out of Matt McGloin. Uh, the Raiders can take some culpability, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. Uh, this week we'll be looking at the playoffs and what that means for your team or maybe not your team if your team is shit. Coaching, movements, retirements, and some player news. We've got a couple of games from last week, some questions from you, the listener, and then on to the picks for the wildcard round of the playoff championships. So, hey guys, Connor here. I've got Harry. Hey. And we've got Ronan. Hello. And I'm back in Dublin, so I can actually be audible rather than just over old phone lines from <laughs> Donegal or not speaking at all from Kerry. Uh, so, how's yourselves, lads? Any crack? I just in the post New Year's recovery kind of mode. Have a few days off work now, so ah, not bad. Enjoying myself, relaxing. Uh, met uh, Alex Groves back in town very briefly. Oh, very uh, good. Our American friend met him on uh, yesterday. Went for a few pints of Stag's Head. Very nice, very nice. Uh, he's uh, obviously glad to be. I think glad for the football season to be over, being that he's a Niners fan. Yeah, so. that was not a not a fun season for them to be around. No. <laughs> Oh, speaking of that, actually, is what I don't think we're dealing with later. Did you see the the story that was going around that uh, that Chip Kelly wanted to draft Dak Prescott and uh, Trent Balky was like, "No, I did, I did." It's interesting that Chip would say this now. Obviously, yeah. It of is, course, yeah. I, want, and I also wanted to draft that. I was Ziggy Elliott, and, and yeah, it is, sure. it is okay, one of those ones where you can like, yeah, but it seems like a really odd one to to, to go for. Of like, why why bring this out now? Yeah, it's 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 a bit like it's it's a bit like somebody being like, "Oh, I would have drafted Peyton Manning, but my GM over." You see, yeah, do you see, like, do you see the management's uh, response to the to the reporter? It was oh fabulous. my god, Jed is having a meltdown, isn't he? Yeah, it was like um, so. So you fired both the GM and the coach for underperformance, is it? And he was like, "Well, that and you know, not getting the results." Everyone's like, "But yeah, underperformance." Let's focus on that. Why aren't you being fired for underperformance? And he's like, "You can't fire an owner." <laughs> Well, it's weird, actually. His, it's, it's really his parents who put him in that place. Yeah. Like, he's the godson of uh, Eddie DiPitaro, who's obviously the quite famous owner of the 49ers. Hmm. So, in actuality, he could be fired, but would have to be by his parents. Yeah. So, that would be particularly entertaining if it did happen. Parents <laughs> just don't understand. It would be a very awkward Thanksgiving dinner, I'd say. Like. Oh, my. But, lads, we've got a lot to get through here, so uh, we might as well fly straight on into it, I suppose. Our playoff teams have been confirmed. The order's been confirmed. Also, the top 20 picks in the draft have been confirmed. Mm-hmm. Well done, Browns. They did their best. They really <laughs> did. Jesus Christ. So, top of the AFC is New England, followed by KC. Mm-hmm. After they hop over Oakland with a tied record, but a better head-to-head. Uh, Pittsburgh are in at number three in Houston at number four. Then the wild cards, number five is Oakland, and number six is Miami. Uh, Harry, do you want to give us the NFC? Yeah, so in the NFC, number one seed, which we've known for a while now, is Dallas. Uh, second seed, Atlanta, coming through. Seattle are in the third seed, so all of our teams have made the playoffs, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, Excellent sucks, stuff. Sucks to be everyone else. And then uh, Green Bay ended up winning the division uh, on, on the last game of the season. So they'll be the final uh, seed in the top four. Then the other two are fifth seed, as we already knew, the Giants, and then Detroit able to hold on for the sixth seed, although obviously that was confirmed before their, yes. before their game. So it's a, that was an interesting run of things for it. I think mostly where we predicted it to end up about, although I, I, I will hold my hands up and say I did say a couple of weeks ago that I didn't think Miami would make it back in. Uh, congratulations to them for making it this far. I, we'll see how we reckon about them getting any further. Let's fire into a couple of the changes that have happened in teams around the league. Uh, coaches and GM news, I suppose, to start out with. Uh, 
Kubiak has announced that for health reasons, amongst one or two other bits and pieces, he's going to be retiring uh, from Denver, which leaves a vacancy here. Will this be filled internally? Will they look at external candidates? It's a pretty nice spot in terms of, you know, normally it's your fucking Jacksonvilles and your 49ers that are free. This is a team with a championship-level defense, a lot of young players. Like, what do we reckon? Is this the most attractive landing spot out there at the moment? Uh, out of what's available, yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it's probably the most high pressure as well, in the sense that this is a team that isn't necessarily going to be in rebuild, you aren't necessarily going to have a lot of rope with, uh, and it's a team that's still expected to you know, win the division, expected to challenge for playoff contention, although it wasn't able to this year. Um, that's the kind of level you'd be pretty much expected as a default if you, if you take over there. It's perhaps less attractive because of the John Elway situation. Although he's been a very good uh, GM for the team, he is a guy who exercises a lot of control, so I can see that being... Slight turnoff for certain coaches who might want more uh, input over roster decisions or more autonomy in that regard. But when you consider it in the context of the other places that are available, those flaws sort of drop away when you look at the magnitude of the task in front of them and how many pieces are already in place. And it's pretty clear what needs to improve there versus to kind of blow it up, build it all up from the ground again. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what they go for. They're not apparently going to promote from within or not the most obvious candidate. They said they don't want Wade Phillips to do it, which is mm. interesting, I think, uh, given the how the defense has been the strength of that team and given the job Phillips has done there. There, maybe they don't think he's cut out for head coaching. Maybe they think he's too old. All of those Could things possibly are for me. They, just, they want him to focus purely on defense and it, not have to oversee the rest of it. It could be that as well. It could be that as well. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, they, they believe they can hold on to him in that context. So uh, one would assume they know what they're doing, given that they've generally been quite good with personnel recently. Yeah, no, of course. And Fitz, what do you reckon? Like, there is, there is the other side of the thing. This is a, this is probably one of the more complete teams that you could take over if you're looking for a job. But it's also going to be in one of the toughest divisions that they're going to be facing because this is this is a team that has aspirations, but also has at least two, if not three, contending teams. Two that went into the playoffs ahead of them this year, and one that if they you know had more than a leg per player <laughs> might actually have still put up a push at that's back end like is there a risk to someone taking over this position and the expectations being there but the reality being a far tougher job yeah like like it's not just expectations this is our current super bowl owner like obviously by the time the new coach comes in there'll be someone new in that position but you're two years out from a super bowl there's been a fair amount of continuity on the team like there's been some major pieces of change but a lot of the defense is still the same so you're dealing with what is would be considered a Super Bowl roster or a Super Bowl ready roster at least. Like even like like but like as you say, there's a huge amount of pressure with that, and there's a huge amount of decisions that come in that. You have to deal with the fact, obviously, as Harry says, John Elway's there. But even like take the Wade Phillips situation, he's already tweeted out basically that he doesn't know where he's going to be next year. It's the first thing that you do when you come in as a coach is try to convince Wade Phillips to stay on as a defensive coordinator. Certainly from a performance point of view, there doesn't seem to be any reason why you wouldn't do that. There's a lot of moving pieces on this team that like mean it's a little bit more complicated and a lot of politics that you probably have to deal with. And then there's just the expectations. So I think like this is the kind of team where it'll be tempting to go for like a young, high-profile candidate who's kind of like exciting and stuff like that. There's somebody like Kyle Shanahan. But or Chip Kelly. Like, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> the wild ride continues. Yes, please. But, but like, ideally, when you look at this team, you might want someone like when they brought in Kubiak, like a level head who's seen it all before. I can keep this team going when things get tough. If they were to bring in a young, like a young coach like Shannon, that could be a major risk for the team. It's very hard to see where that could go. But I suppose that might be what they do. It's like, you know, we'll take the big shots. They haven't been afraid to do that before. They traded for Peyton Manning, for example. So we'll see if they do that again. And obviously it all starts with what Elway wants. So we'll see if he can continue the magic 
Yeah, no, of course. Now, from possibly the, the strongest roster you can inherit to maybe the weakest, uh, San Francisco, Chip Kelly and Trent Balky have been fired. We mentioned this uh, just at the, at the opening as well. Chip Kelly's wild ride has come to an end, temporarily at least. Uh, tweets have come out today saying that he's more than happy to look at offensive coordinator positions. He doesn't necessarily want to have to control anything. As uh, I think it was Jay Glazer said, he's just a football guy. He just wants to be involved in football. Well, moment, he has to keep looking for work if he wants to get his payments from his last two jobs oh, as well. Right, yeah. Enough, yeah. He's owed a significant chunk of money from Sam Francis. Yeah, he uh, still owes money from Philly as well. Yeah. Like, I suppose there's there's so much in flux in this scenario because both the, both the GM and the head coach is gone that we don't really know what to make of it yet. We'll see what kind of things open up. But do you have any thoughts on, on this apart from it potentially being a very, very rocky start but one that you might not have expectations of? From my perspective... Of all of the coaching seats that are open, both the ones that opened up this week and in the previous weeks, very obviously the biggest rebuild job. If you're a coach who likes to have control, if you're a coach who wants to have control, although we'll have to see how the Jed York uh, slash GM situation goes out, then this gives you the best hope to do that because you're going to be the one picking all the players. You're the one who's going to be choosing what the identity of the team is going forward. Like With the exception of a few minor foundational pieces, like if there's a few pieces on the defence like Navarro Bowman that you probably want to keep around, and then a few picks that they've had recently to DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead. Like most of that team could basically just be thrown in the skip and you can get new people in if you so wish. From a certain perspective, it gives you a bit more opportunity. Uh, and obviously the expectations can't get any really lower than they have been due to Jim Tomsula and Chip Kelly being A, bad coaches, but B, also not very likable coaches. On paper, it should be the easiest job. I suppose the only issue is that Jed York situation. A strong will, good coach who wants to make the team his own, is he willing to do that? We saw with Jim Harbaugh that had that ended up falling out in the end, even with all the success he had. From a certain level, it, like it has the most work to do, and the biggest problem is ownership. It's like, can you trust that the owner yeah. will give you the space to do this? Have they reached low enough that Jed York will actually keep his paws uh, off the project and let a good coach do their job? Well, this is the thing, I suppose. It's, it's considered probably the worst ownership to have to deal with, or at least... Like from from what we're hearing from people around the league, it's viewed that way. Mm-hmm. But it is it is an ownership that's had two head coaches in two years. They know it has to be a big rebuild. Surely they have to allow stability. It means you should get two or three years to come in, build up, try and get your image impressed onto this team because you can't be firing a coach every single year. Yeah, well, that's what you'd think in theory. And I think what Ronan says, though, is true, is we don't really know how Jed York's like going to deal with it going forward. He's already dealt with it quite poorly over the last few seasons, as you mentioned earlier. With the press conference, he doesn't seem to be dealing with the pressure right now very well. In theory, I agree with you. It is a place where you would have time, and you want a situation like, and obviously, hopefully it works out better for the team, but you want a situation like in Jacksonville, where Shai Khan has been willing to give coaches an awful lot of rope to try and leave their print and try and build their project. It does come down to whether or not Jed York is willing to swallow his pride be more hands-off, focus more on business stuff, and let uh, whoever comes in as head coach make and make those decisions, and GM as well. I think it's going to be quite interesting to see who gets appointed first, and whether they try and build from head coach mm-hmm. and try and get a GM to work with them, or t- pick a GM first and then look for a head coach that might have experience working with that person and so on. I can't see people falling over themselves to move there, because although you do have the potential of saying, I can build my team, you just never know when York is going to snap whether it's after a year whether it's after two years whether he just decides he doesn't like you even though you're doing well yeah. and kicks you out and that's kind of always going to be I think the cloud hanging over that as long as the ownership until the ownership proves it can behave differently yeah no of course uh, the other one that we got news on San Diego Mike McCoy is fired uh, 
from, from what we've heard from other shows as well, this was a pretty brutal one. Uh, final game, they lost, obviously. Uh, the, the, the crowd that was there cheered the team on the way out, and as Mike McCoy walked down the tunnel, he was unceremoniously booed by everyone. He gave his press conference, uh, made a small case for why he should be the kept on and how it was a tough year for them, and then within, I think, about three minutes of him finishing his press conference, he was fired. It's a bit of a tough run for him. I think he made mistakes, but also, like, they had nearly 20 players out with destroyed knees like it wasn't an easy two years for them but this is a this is a this is a franchise in flux we don't know where they're going to be next year we don't know whether they're going to have the support of the of the area that they are whether LA wants them whether wherever they end up being wants them i wouldn't be sure about this being a job you'd necessarily want to put yourself into especially well not if you are new to head coaching in the NFL at any rate well, there are a lot of moving parts, um, and it certainly made it difficult over the last few seasons. The instability, you know, that you're talking about there, that's been an enduring theme for the last while in San Diego. Are they going to move? Are they going to stay? We've already seen them play their last game in the stadium twice now, so mm. who knows where they're going to end up with that Neither one. Neither have gone particularly well. No, that's true. <laughs> McCoy, obviously, like you say, he had things going against him, but at the end of the day, he failed to take control of the situation, and that, I think, mm. was sort of the, the, the nail in the coffin. If that team sort of felt like it was fighting through adversity, and it did for a while, but other times it just seemed like he was just praying to God and just hoping Philip Rivers would oh. do enough. So, yeah, ultimately, you know, it is, it is his fault, despite the circumstances outside of his control. He failed to control the ones that were within it. So, it is an interesting position to move into, because it's not a bad roster. It's a team that's been unlucky, and a team certainly with a lot of question marks off the field that may cause problems there. Some very nice they, young pieces. They are. They do. They do. They have obviously Gordon Akeem now, and if he can, if he can Bosa. come back, Bosa has been fantastic. Um, apparently, they're they're looking at Matt Patricia, the Patriots' defensive coordinator. Who, mm. to be honest, with you, I was saying this to you guys earlier in the year. As a guy, I'm surprised isn't mentioned more in terms of people looking for for head coaching. So, going, you know, it's a sign there that they want a defensive minded guy, perhaps that they're looking to build around Bosa, around Tavis Brown, Perryman, around the guys on defense, Casey Hayward, who they can. Um, rely on try and take some of the pressure off Rivers and get a solid um, defensive game going. So already you can see from who they're looking at and who they're talking to, this is an ownership with a plan, and that's a good sign despite all of the problems about the Spanos's yeah. uh, ownership. That's a sign this franchise maybe has a direction and where it wants to go. And if you're looking to you know for a head coaching role, that's I think probably something quite important that you can see that there's a, a general direction here and it's not going to be left up to you. Be like, oh, there's a load of difficult stuff going on. It's like, look, here's what we want to do on the field. We're going to take care of all the move stuff. We're going to take care of all the outside stuff. And I actually think that makes it a bit more attractive than it might have been otherwise. No, of course. There's a couple of other open seats, obviously, LA, Buffalo, Jacksonville. A lot of these have interim people in there, but they're not... For the most part, they're interims that are not expected to stay on. There's discussion that in Buffalo, their interim is actually their end goal. Uh, and there's also talk about them bringing up uh, a, a former head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, known for his defensive uh, capabilities before he became head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, perhaps, uh, to, to join him in that spot. But we're going to talk more about coaching in the questions from the mailbag later on. Uh, we've had a couple of retirements as well. I suppose, Fitz, I'll come to you on this. Which one do you want to talk about? Two main ones we're going to look at. Look at probably Robert Mathis and Steve Smith Sr. Uh, which two do you like to cover? Yeah, like we'll cover like perhaps the less well-known, but perhaps just as influential player like Robert Mathis. Like Robert Mathis has been one of the premier players on the Indianapolis Colts defense. He's basically been a constant on that team. The thing with the Indianapolis Colts, they've always been a team which has been more associated with offense than defense. But the defense at certain points has been required to step up. They've always been known to be like have decent players on the line. Now, he's obviously a player who, 
as time has gone on, has turned into more of a situational player. But even in 2016 and 2015, he's managed five and seven sacks, respectively. He's only three years out in 2013 from a 19.5 sack season. When you're looking at the Indianapolis Colts, he's probably not a player who perhaps get the recognition of the Peyton Mannings, uh, of the Reggie Waynes, of those offensive stars who basically put that team on the map and made it into the kind of cultural force that it has been for 15 years at this point. But there has been these silent contributors like him and Dwight Freeney, who obviously uh, who was let go a couple of seasons ago, who really did make what was a good enough defense, a defense that could hold the line and make sure that offense could do things. You know, despite all the all the focus the offense had, the offense did have a lot of holes that Peyton Manning was, and, and latterly Andrew Luck had pulled together. So it's been important to these kind of players. And just in terms of like the Indianapolis Colts themselves, like in the short term, I think they'll be disappointed because even though his production has gone down, he's become more of a situational pass rusher. When you look at the talent that they'll have left over next year on that defensive front, he was probably still their best pass rusher. He was probably still the only one you go. That's someone who can regularly get to the quarterback if given the opportunity. So I think for the Indianapolis Colts, it's another bad note in which to end the season. So I think you know he's got 123 career sacks. He should be remembered. I don't think he'll... like. Interesting to see he might be potential for the um, the Hall of Fame, but certainly the Ring of Honor for the Colts uh, is definitely in his future, and he, he'll be well-remembered within the league for, for who he was. Hopefully he has a happier retirement. No, of course. And then uh, Harry, the other one we've had that's kind of a big name, is Steve Smith Sr., who... Uh, now, there was chat about him coming back next year as well, given that he didn't want to end on a sour note and so on, but... Uh, like it's kind of the writing's on the wall here uh, for a chap who's had a very long and very productive career. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at that, he's had over uh, over a thousand receptions, over 14,000 yards. He's been uh, a consistent presence in the league for a very long time now. He's, he's 37. Um, and I think, you know, playing in that kind of skill position takes a, a big toll on your body. And it's been a remarkably long career from him anyway. It's been a remarkably productive career. And we've seen it drop off, off over the last couple of years. And he's had a few injuries and so on. You know, he's, he's still been a, a consistent uh, a consistent player and a consistent presence. He's also one of the great personalities in the league. Like, love him or hate him. Mm. Uh, he's certainly made things entertaining. For a guy who's had a very checkered history, some might say. But he's always been... On the field is what matters. He hasn't really got into that much trouble off the field. If you consider most of his sort of misdemeanors have involved punching his teammates rather than other people, which yeah. you know it's, it's a keeps it in the family. Yeah, exactly. It's a, well, not no, no. That's the problem. So he doesn't keep it in the family. He's actually a very big advocate uh, for domestic violence charities and so on. Uh, in fairness to him, which is pretty. Cool. Oh, that's not what I meant at all. I, I know. It's just your phrasing. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify, given that a lot of uh, NFL players seem to take the wrong end of the stick on that one. So you know, he, no, it's Adrian Peterson takes the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That got dark. It, it's one of those guys who, you know, I don't think he was never the best receiver in the league. He was never the most talented guy, but he's a guy who worked really hard and um, for a smaller receiver had, you know, remarkable production. was just remarkably consistent and a constant presence there in Carolina and now in, in Baltimore as well. It, it's his time, I think, at the end of the day. He's had one of those, he's one of those guys who I think, you know, will end up based on the stats and based on his um, longevity be sort of probably in the Hall of Fame discussion but I don't think he's ever going to, to make it ultimately never winning a Super Bowl and so on the lack of ever being that sort of top tier guy mm. but he's always been very good uh, and I think you know the league will be a little bit less of a colourful place without him yeah no of course and uh, I believe the they reckon they kind of buried the hatchet a little bit with the Carolina stuff. Uh, Carolina have said that they'd be happy to have him back and probably induct him into their yeah. ring of honour and so on. So that's always a plus as well for him. I see him going out on a high note. In terms of anyone else kind of leaving, Mario Williams is apparently, we've got reports he's going to be dumped. He uh, cost too much money, isn't producing, has been injured. He, I think, is the sixth highest paid player on the Miami roster this season. But 
hasn't produced at all. I don't think this is really a surprise to anyone apart from... I think the only surprising thing is uh, how cheaply they can get out of this second year of this contract, to be honest. I think it's only cost them something like three and a half million. And uh, Michael Bennett, I suppose this is one for you, Fitz. Michael X Bennett has signed a three-year, $31.5 million contract. I swear to Christ, every time we get to the off-season, he's got a new contract. Well, he's always complaining about not getting <laughs> You're confusing two things, but his contract does come up, has come up for the last two off-seasons. He was considered to be you know, very underpaid. I think he was on a $27 million, uh, for a four-year contract. Like For the talent that he has, for the production he has, that's obviously peanuts compared to what you say Olivier Vernon got in the off-season gone by. So, you know, he's been, he's been edging for this. Like he's 31 years old. He's definitely on the older side. This is a big contract. It's mostly front-loaded. I think it's 17. It's about 10 million up front, about 17 guaranteed overall. This is like, it's kind of similar to the Marshawn Lynch contract they gave a few years ago. Like, the Seahawks have a policy of not negotiating deals until there's one year left. Michael Bennett, after the season, will have one year left. So, it's a natural progression that this is more or less when they would do the deal. Uh, they like to do that just to prevent everyone coming to their door, like Richard Sherman or Aaron mm. Thomas looking for extra money, whatever. So I think you know, Michael Bennett, he plays in the defensive line. We see, like you know, with players like Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney, that these players can have a very productive career going into their thirties. Um, obviously, there's always the, the risk of fall off. But I think Michael Bennett, you know, he strikes me as the kind of player who always competes, isn't really going to like sit in his laurels because he seems to enjoy beating up quarterbacks too much. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so like I think it's a good deal for Seattle. Like they want to keep Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett wants to stay there. I think this contract more or less is in, va- in line with value. And if he produces near or at the level that he has for the last three years, then they're getting an absolute bargain again. To be honest. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Doug Martin's been suspended for four games and has entered rehab for issues with drugs. Uh, we haven't gotten too much clarification on this one, even though it happened a while back. We believe at the moment that it's recreational because it's very odd for you to enter rehab for like anabolic steroids. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm just so addicted to them gains. Uh, so yeah, like we'll, we'll we'll come back to this story in the off season when we have a bit more clarification on it. So yeah, we'll see how that develops in our roundup of. Players do the craziest things. Uh, it's the first edition of our... It's the off-season, so everyone's going to do crimes now. <laughs> Pac-Man Jones has been arrested for... Harassment seems like a, such a soft term for headbutting police officers. Do, do you want the full rap sheet he got this Yeah, time? Give, us, give us the full rap sheet. <laughs> Pac-Man Jones, Pac-Man Jones stayed out of trouble for a while, so I guess this was sort of overdue. So he was arrested for assault. That's misdemeanor assault. Disorderly conduct and obstructing official business. And then a felony uh, as well for, and I quote... Harassment of a member of the medical staff in the justice centre with a bodily substance. What? Yeah, he spat on a nurse. Oh, right. But so it makes it sound a lot worse than he is. That yeah. sounded like he just smeared a doctor in shit. Like. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, but yeah, he was he was basically arrested. He was fighting the cops, as one does. Apparently he poked a guy in the eye. Maybe he's been hanging out with a key to leave. I don't know. Mm. Resisted arrest, was brought in, and then refused to cooperate with medical staff there. So yeah, nice to see uh, you know, Pac-Man Jones... Rearing it's the ugly side of his head again oh, there. That's it, that's it. Just a fucking moron. Don't worry, guys. I'm sure we'll bring you plenty more. Players do the craziest things off-season edition. Injuries, quick roundup. Matt McGloin's hurt his shoulder out for Oakland. Uh, we'll be discussing this in a bit more detail later on. Tom Savage got a concussion. We'll be discussing this a little bit more later on as well. Arizona, as they're out, I suppose we should probably talk this a little bit. David Johnson has suffered quite a horrible looking, but I haven't gotten any reports since of the actual severity knee injury. This was a fantastic looking season for him. It's a really nasty way to finish that up, isn't it? It looked worse than it is, apparently. I think the MRI revealed it's just an MCL strain. 
that would in the, if they were still relevant that would be a like two to four week recovery usually maybe six weeks at most but like it looked really bad in the field and it did prevent it from getting like being the first player to ever get like over a thousand yards uh, both uh, receiving and rushing and also broke his streak of 100 yards per game uh, that would have picked in 17 and then would have like he already had the record for 16 to start the season but 17 would have been you know pretty impressive overall um, so like you know David Johnson had a probably MVP level um, season but on a bad team he probably won't get it so like I think it was a bad way to end things a bit of a sour note but I think the Arizona Cardinals will be absolutely delighted that it turned out to be a lot less significant than that there shouldn't be any off-season surgery required so hopefully he should be well raring to go by the time uh, camp starts up in a few months that's perfect all they have to do now I suppose is figure out the rest of their team uh, <laughs> That'll be good. We can play the Rams every week. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I suppose with that, we will swing on to uh, the games from last week. So uh, we're going to cover three games this week. Uh, first up in the Ring of Honor, Green Bay at Detroit, uh, 31-24. to Green Bay finished the season with a six-game winning streak uh, coming into the hot into the playoffs. Uh, Rodgers' current streak himself is 15 touchdowns with no interceptions. Uh, the Lions stalled after leading into the halftime and they attempted an onside kick with 13 seconds left but unfortunately couldn't recover it. Um, both of these teams are in the playoffs due to the outcome of the game we'll be discussing a little bit later, the Mizungus. So what this means then is Green Bay have to get to play stay, stay at home to take on the New York Giants uh, next week, and uh, Detroit have to travel all the way up to Seattle to to, to play them in the clink, one of the loudest stadiums uh, in, in sports. Uh, Ronan, uh, Green Bay suffered injuries to three quarterbacks in this game and a spate of others as well. They, they still look to be in good form going into the playoffs. A really nice streak. But these, these wins have come against the Eagles, the Texans, the Bears, the Vikings, and a Seahawks team that put up 10 points. Is this team a mirage, or is it a team that we have to start taking legitimately? Because this looks like an awful soft run that's given them these numbers. Look, this is a team with, with flaws in most parts of the team. Like, Ty Montgomery has been good, but he's not. Like, like you can see that if a team focuses on them, they can shut him up. As was focused on a lot in the coverage for Sunday Night Football, the right-hand side of their like defense in terms of secondary has given up some of the most ridiculous over-percentages in terms of that. Like Demarius Randall has come back and has improved things, but they're still giving up way too many points to players on that side of the field. Like The statistics are, are quite uh, ridiculous. Uh, but forget all that. Forget all the flaws and the running backs and the defense, whatever. Aaron Rodgers, over the last six weeks, has been absolutely out of the world. We know that when Aaron Rodgers is on form, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football right now. Like you can forget Matt Ryan, you can get Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers can make a win happen by anything. Like over and over again, we saw over these last few weeks that he is capable of pulling absolutely ridiculous things out of his ass. We saw it last season with the Hail Mary against Detroit, and in the last couple of weeks, we saw against Chicago when it looked like it was going to go to overtime. He threw an absolutely ridiculous like 50-60 yard bomb to Jordy Nelson to basically ice the game and get a kick, get a get a field goal to win the game. And like in this game, the one that struck out to me based on what I saw was just before halftime. Detroit had taken a uh, seven point lead. You know, Green Bay had about 30 seconds to work with it. Once again, Aaron Rodgers does a little bit like a huge amount of improvisational play, gets them about a 30 yard a 30 yard gain, and gets them a field goal just before the half. Like, in what was basically no time at all, 
those are the kind of things that you can do if Aaron Rodgers is at Aaron Rodgers level. Like, they've had a couple of players come back in the offensive line, but, like, the offensive line has been pretty good all year. It was just about the rhythm between Aaron Rodgers and his receivers, and it seems to be, as the season has gone on, Jordy Nelson has got back into the game. He's had a really good back half of the season. Devontae Adams has learned how to catch the ball, and even players like Jared Cook have managed to contribute down the stretch as well at points. So I think, like, it begins and ends with this team. If, if Aaron Rodgers is at peak performance, he is capable of beating any defense in the league. I think you can say that some of these defenses he beat up uh, aren't the best in the league, but there's still no doubting that the way that he pulls out these amazing improvisational plays is something that you do not see from any other quarterback. So I think as long as Aaron Rodgers is fit and he's only getting healthier as we've gone on towards the end of the season, this team has a chance and must be considered one of the most dangerous teams in the NFC. You know, Aaron Rodgers, don't count him out. Uh, as long as he's alive, this team is dangerous and is a contender in the NFC. Yeah, we'll see how we uh, how we predict that game uh, coming up. Harry, the Lions looked weak and couldn't capitalize on the injuries to the Green Bay team. They've only beaten one team with a winning record this season, and that's an eight and eight seven and one Mazungus team. Uh, they've lost to all four playoff teams they've faced, uh, including the Texans. What from this game gives you hope for them traveling up to CenturyLink Field? Yeah, you got a lot of uh, a lot of faith in the uh, NFC North there, given that both your questions are like, why is this team not actually that good? I I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely not impressed with either of them. That, I, mean, I am very impressed fair. with. That I'm impressed fair. with Rogers. I'm yeah. not impressed with either team. Well, okay. Look, in fairness, like Matt Stafford has been playing well. We've discussed that at length this season. That he's been he's been a lot more efficient than we're used to seeing from him. You know, there are things to, to like on this team. They are still tough defensively against teams that don't have massively high powered offenses. They've been able to hold them to to low scores, and they don't give up plays to bad teams. Now, of course, the problem is that the offense has quite often disappeared. Particularly, the lack of a running game has just been more or less extremely damaging to the Lions I think is, is what has come back to bite them this team I think if it had a better running back and a better running game one they could rely on uh, I don't you know I don't know if we necessarily be asking as many questions as we are about them there certainly are there certainly are questions to be asked speaking of the running game I've got to say this was the grittiest grittiest uh, game for the Royals Zach Zenner versus Aaron Ripkowski I mean like I mean for Detroit this is a team that has to that pretty much has to lean on that defense because while Stafford can pull off and we, we saw it in this game we could pull off drives almost entirely through the air they're still a team that's going to struggle to control games and control the clock and control the ball without having that running game they can lean on from that perspective I think there's an element of look that was Aaron Rodgers it was this game it was always going to be tough the defense got shown up against teams that have uh, perhaps less explosive offenses, less consistent offenses, and teams that don't have as good quarterbacking, they do certainly have more of a chance than otherwise. But what they need to do, I think, is find a way to make the offense more consistent and stop relying so much on Stafford being able to uh, make the best out of those around him. Because this team still doesn't have as, as it, like doesn't have great weapons in the passing game. We've seen that this season, other than early explosion from Marvin Jones, it's kind of dropped off. Yeah. And uh, they've become more and more reliant on guys like Anquan Bolden, who while still good players, aren't game-breakers. Yeah, it's difficult to to say there's a lot to like about Detroit in terms of relative to the other playoff teams. But look, they have got this far. You can really count still only beat what's in front of you. And we have seen promise from them defensively. We know they have a, a good quarterback. So I wouldn't be comfortable writing them off entirely, although I'd say, yeah, definitely based on this week and based on what we've seen from over the season, it's going to be a tough run for them. Uh, to progress through the playoffs. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, our next game up in the neutral zone also features some more, uh, well, one that is and one that potentially could have been playoff team for the NFC. New York Giants at the Washington Mazungus, 19-10. to Mazungus entered this game with a, with a nearly win-and-in scenario, barring a draw in the, uh, in the Green Bay-Detroit game, uh, facing a New York Giants team that had literally nothing riding on this 
game at all because they were already guaranteed to be the fifth seed and couldn't climb or fall. Why did they fuck it up? Kirk Cousins threw two interceptions to Rogers Camardi to ensure that they get an early holiday and he gets to relax instead of have to stress his way through uh, January, which is good. They didn't even manage to score in the first half. Like uh, this was this was brutal. New York Giants went very run heavy. Paul Perkins. Uh, breaking 100 yards in this game which was uh, interesting I think this was their season high rushing of about 160 yards total they would nearly nearly 50-50 split between um, rushing and passing uh, in terms of what they gained which is interesting slow quiet possession based football and four sacks from the Giants ensured that uh, the Mazungus were going nowhere Uh, Ronan Giants move on to play Green Bay. They're eighteen and one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, hey, Pats fans, eighteen and one. You like that? Obviously, this was a very different game from the normal way they play. As I said, kind of an even split between uh, passing and rushing yards. Is this an anomaly because they were just trying to sit on this game, or do we expect to see more of Paul Perkins and this run game in the January game plan? Yeah, well, it was a weird game. Like, like it was very obvious that the Giants weren't actually that invested in winning this game. Look, we'll talk about the defense, I'm sure, in the preview, but the defense, we're well aware, is a very effective unit right now. Well, let, let's talk about the offense for a little bit. Like, obviously, Eli Manning this year has been very Eli Manning-ish, kind of like a little bit up and down, but generally down this year. This is probably one of the worst years coming from Eli Manning, to be honest. Uh, and it's definitely a kind of sense that he might be falling off a bit like his older brother uh, as he comes down the stretch of his career. But in this game, they may have inadvertently like stumbled on a formula for what they do. Like they actually showed a bit of fate in their running backs. Like Rashad Jennings put a like they put a lot of their running back committee on him in the end during the mid part of the season. But in the last few weeks, they've managed to get Paul Perkins involved. And Paul Perkins, is, like he's he's a rookie, so he has some of the issues in terms of pass protection and stuff like that. But is a dual threat uh, running back. But I think the most interesting thing that they've shown is that Paul Perkins can be a good running back between the tackles. He's someone who you can't trust in that. And he had like a five-yard average in this game against a team that was really looking to win. And even though I wouldn't consider the Mizungo's defense to be elite, it's definitely not the worst defense in the league. Based on where Eli Manning is and where like they saw in this game, in a game where they really didn't want to win and they just showed, like fed the ball to Paul Perkins and Rashad Jennings to a lesser extent, they had a lot of success. So I think for them, that should give them like pause for thought. Like Ben McAdoo, I think, is considered generally... Uh, like not really a run game type but more of a West Coast type thing but based on this I think it would make sense for them to go run heavy against Green Bay try and eat up the clock and give Aaron Rodgers a little time to do that now obviously it'll depend how the game plan goes in this game they did manage to get an early win and basically were basically wanted to hold on to it for pride's sake or because they hate the Washington team but they, they did that and I think it worked really well so it'll be interesting to see if early on in the game uh, going forward, like we'll talk about more in the preview, but if they will move towards a more run game centric approach, because like in this game it showed that they can do that, and I think you know with Odell Beckham, with with like with Odell Beckham, Eli Manning does know how to get to Odell Beckham. He does know how to get to some of the other, like uh, Sterling Shepard who's had a decent season. So if you could build on the play action, we know that if Eli Manning is capable of doing those big plays down the field. I think having that more balance may have been something that in this game worked really well against a team that had to fight for its season right here. Maybe it's something that could work in the playoffs as well. And we could see that very, very New York Giants type of run emerging here once again. Yeah, no, of course. Harry, Kirk Cousins cost them this game, but he has shown over the course of the year 
that he can run the offense. This whole franchise tag seems to have worked. He's holds several of the franchise's records. I think he now has the most passing yards in the season in, in Mazungu history. Um, is locking him up longer term priority number one for these guys in the offseason? And if so, what will be number two in your well, eyes? Well, like I think I think it probably is number one at this point. Cousins has shown enough. He's not like a top-tier QB, but he's still young enough. He's still got time to develop. And he is playing well on a team that is... You know, has holes on the offense and has problems um, with the weapons around him. So, yeah, I do think that's got to be the top priority for for them. Particularly because the last thing they want now is when the team is showing a bit of promise now after the whole RG3 fiasco and the way that ended, it would be really bad for them to have to go back to the drawing board start again. Honestly, like, their problem that they really need to fix, from my perspective anyway, is, is on the other side of the ball. It's on the defense. This isn't a good defensive backfield in particular. They spent a lot of money on Josh Norman, and shockingly, as it turns out, a cornerback cannot cover the entire field by himself. Josh Norman has been good for them. He hasn't been quite as fantastic as he was in Carolina, but he's been very good. Beyond that, they have struggled. They have difficulties at safety. Guys like Bashar Breland have not stepped up and do not appear to have continued uh, continued to develop in the way they had hoped. So that's something they really need either somebody to partner him with, him with or somebody who can offer proper safety help over the top. Again, guys like Duki and Acho haven't been able to elevate them in that regard that's the big problem for them it's like how does this team uh which has now all of this promise on offense find a way to actually turn into into a winning uh side and we saw that that they couldn't really stop a new york team that as ronan quite rightly said just wasn't that interested in winning this game like did just enough to continue to play football and that was enough to beat washington because they couldn't stop them they couldn't stop them on the ground and to be honest with you, they didn't do a great job through the air, even against a team that wasn't really passing that much. They are in a tough division. Like, we know that New York are capable of winning, as we've seen here. Uh, Dallas look very, very good. And Philadelphia have a lot of promise, even though it's not quite clicking for them at the moment. So this is a team that needs to keep developing, needs to stay competitive, needs to look at games like this one and be like, this is a game that the season hinged on. Why did it go wrong? How do we let this happen? But the best case scenario for them is that they can take something instructive from this game. Yeah, and look at why the team failed at the final hurdle once they get Kirk Cousins back they will have stability on the offense now I'm assuming they do and I'm assuming that they will uh, go all out to, to keep him at this stage given the quarterback market look it, it's going to cost them money they know that but realistically to get anyone half decent is going to cost yeah. this team money we'll see how it pans out for them um, the front office has been okay recently so I, I'm intrigued to see what they do during the draft because I think it is going to be somebody on the defensive side of the ball, but I think they have enough problems that pretty much everywhere except middle linebacker, to be honest with you, could be could be what they turn to as their number one priority. Yeah, so we'll see. Obviously, we'll, we'll go more into depth in this kind of stuff on the offseason, but especially for some of these teams, as we're about to come to, that don't have much more left to deal with in this season, we'll probably be focusing a little bit longer term because I'll tell you something, as we step into the into the dumpster fire, I don't want to talk about this actual game at all. AFC East... With the exception of the Patriots, they are an abscess that keeps getting infected. Gets uh, so infected uh, that it must well, be... Yeah, the Dolphins are fine. Brutal. Sorry, yeah, the Dolphins did okay as well in the back half. But that's that's an anomaly rather than anything else, <laughs> if we're honest. Reggie Bush wins an award. Uh, he's the first player to have 10 or more carries in the season and end with negative yards. Uh, minus three yards in the season. Well done, Reggie. Fitzmagic had a good game. He's obviously realised that free agency is pairing and he didn't actually get a long-term deal last season. 20 of 30 for 210 yards and two touchdowns. Quincy Inunua and Bilal Powell stepping up for the Jets. The Bills just stank entirely. 162 yards passing, 68 yards rushing, one interception, two lost fumbles. I struggled to find a bright spot for him. Preston Brown had 14 tackles, two of which were for a loss. That's a lot of tackles. This was barely a football game, lads. This was this was brutal. There was even special teams fuck ups in it. Like it was just Ronan coaching changes in Buffalo. 
Uh, EJ Manuel didn't impress. Going into the offseason, what can the Bills take as positives apart from not having the Ryan brothers anymore? Well, if this is the Buffalo Bills without the Ryan brothers, uh, I would be bringing them back as quickly as possible. <laughs> quite why Doug Whaley still has a job, I have no idea. He was doing the press conference today, so he still presumably thinks he has a job. But if he has a job in this offseason, then like the Pagulas need to take a hard look in the mirror and really think about it like that their like that their boy needs to be kept because this was the Whaley game. This was the Whaley decisions. Whaley's the one who picked EJ Manuel in the first round and he says we're gonna shove him in there even though Tyrod Taylor's had a decent season and then they pull him uh, like pretty much halfway through the game and put in Cardale Jones who then manages to like outperform in terms of yards on six attempts uh, in the second half even though he does throw an interception. So that doesn't really say much for the players that are coming in behind Tyrod Taylor because the Tyrod Taylor apparently is not loved by anyone except for Rex Ryan. Um, you know, like the running game was pretty much shattered when Deshaun McCoy went out early in this game. Like Mike Gillisley is a decent backup, but nothing more. He's a good, a good to have, but nothing more. There was just disasters all over this game. But like, it, like if this was, like Anthony Lynn is not going to get the head coach job if this team has any sense because it didn't look that this team was listening to Anthony Lynn. It doesn't seem like Anthony Lynn was like the secret power broker who was making this team the decent season maybe they had. They had a chance to go 8-8, eight eight, obviously, in this game. But in this game, they just didn't give a crap. They put in a bad quarterback, then put in another bad quarterback, and then, I think as you alluded to, have one of the most ill-disciplined, stupidest like touchdowns to give away a... Night, like basically what a seventy-yard onside kick touchdown. Uh, <laughs> it's most the technical term for what happened here. New York Jets kicker kicked it short off, uh, short of the end zone. It trickles into the end zone. The Bills player, the Bills defender, is looking at it. He's literally over the game, and the New York Jets players run down and fall on the ball, and that is a touchdown because Bills don't understand football. Like if there was any way to feel. Like this is like this was the worst game for the Bills, and it pretty much takes away whatever hope you might have had uh, for those Bills fans going into the offseason. Like they didn't have a bad season, but they have lost their coaches. But there was some hope because there's talent there. But to see the absolute shitstorm that this turned into as absolutely crushing for them. And if Doug Whaley isn't get rid of that shitstorm, is going to continue all offseason. They have a decision to make there because there's lots of holes in this team, there's a lot of work to do, but they do have the bare bones of what is a good team. Like, they do have Tyrod Taylor, they do have Sean McCoy, who had a, a career season, they have a good offensive line, they have Sammy Watkins and a few other decent receivers. The defense, even though underperformed, has lots of pieces, like Marcel Darius, ready to go. So, they just need to sort their shit out, but if this game is, is what people have to look forward to, it could get a lot worse before it gets better in Buffalo. Yeah, no, of course. Harry, when we look at the, the Jets in this game, coaching stability in the Jets camp is they're not going to swap there, but potentially huge roster turnover. Like Likely levers include Fitzmagic, Darrell Rivas, Brandon Marshall, Nick Mangolds, and a, and a lot of other ones as well. Like, How do they steer through this? Is this something they, they deal with and try and stay competitive, or does this just force a badly needed rebuild to kick off? I think this forces a rebuild that they have kicked the can down the line on for a long time. You know, when you have guys like Revis, like Mo Wilkerson, 
who are being paid obscene amounts of money and aren't performing. You have to get rid of those guys. You just do. And it was, did you see Revis uh, during the last few weeks where he was like, oh, I want respect from the Jets. I want this. That's it. You barely, you, you played like a bum this season. Yeah, you were like, one you, of the best corners in the league and you barely tried. You can't expect to be rewarded for that. You just can't. You're an incredibly talented player and you proved that you did not care. You did not care to put in the effort for this team that is losing. And he has in the past. So that change of attitude... Um, and that being, I think, endemic across a lot of members of the defense, but interesting in this organization in general, like Fitzmagic kicking off earlier in the season when he was benched and all this stuff. These guys need to go because not only are they a financial drain, but also this is the kind of locker room instability that has plagued the Jets for a very, very long time. And this is the kind of holdover from that Rex Ryan era that Todd Bowles needs to be able to, to stop. And they won today, yeah, it's fine. They won against a team that was awful and was barely trying. You can't really take anything from this in terms of the direction of the franchise, in terms of where it's going forward, when they were able to be the Bills team that fucked absolutely everything up. There were some uh, reasons for hope. You know, Bilal Powell has come on this season. He looks good. He looks like he might be more than just a third down back, which is with Forte not getting any younger and obviously having injury problems is something that they really want to see, and we'll see them lean on him a bit more. Quincy Anunua has also developed quite nicely, although, again, he's not a number one threat guy, but he's a guy who can be a really nice complementary piece in an offense. The problem for the Jets, really, this season, though, has been um, in terms of red zone efficiency, where they had guys like Decker and Marshall last season were able to do it. We've seen Decker get injured. Him coming back might also be a boost to the team. But Brandon Marshall also has dropped off significantly and just doesn't look like, doesn't look like the player he used to be, and also doesn't look like he's trying that hard again. There just seems to have been... At a certain point in the season, the team just seemed to pack up and give in. And that's the worst thing that can happen. Now, Ball should absolutely be given more time to try and turn this around. But like you say, that is the kind of thing that has to precipitate a clear out. Because these guys are old enough and have been around long enough. that This can't just be uh, that kind of youthful inexperience or indiscipline. This is a, an endemic lack of respect running through that locker room. So that's something they really are going to need to have to change for them. And that's something that you're going to see a lot of these older guys uh, or troublesome pieces move on over the next little while so yeah I think the Jets do need to give Bowles time I know they haven't got a particularly patient fan base but they were very patient with Rex Ryan for a very long time they need to give Bowles the same kind of chance to actually put his stamp properly on this team clear out all of the deadwood from the previous era that is still hanging around the team and is to be honest dragging it down except that they are going to continue to suck for another couple of seasons and try and rebuild into a roster that is one the head coach actually wants and isn't uh, filled with guys who don't want to be there. Yeah, yeah actually, uh, I have an interesting question. Like, uh, was the Jets last season overperforming actually bad for this team in the long run? There's an element that it might have been. It might have sort of papered over some of the cracks, and obviously you can talk about draft position and things like that. I think you can take a positive from that in the sense that Bowles did seem to initially reinvigorate the team, but once the successes stopped happening and once it stopped being easy for them, the, the, the attitude problems raised their head again and the lack of discipline on this roster and the lack of commitment on this roster kind of sort of came to the forefront so i wouldn't say it was entirely a bad thing but i think it certainly uh, may have kicked the can down the road for another year and let them hold off on what they needed to do to turn the team around yeah so i suppose as, as we say poor performance from both of them and the fucking patriots get an easy run of it again for the next couple of years love it, love it. <laughs> fuck's sake i suppose with that we'll move on to questions from the listeners So this question comes in from Noel Martin, came in over the weekend. We thought it was actually quite an interesting one. With the return of talk about Sean Payton being traded for picks, this is something that happens every year, will we trade Sean Payton, he's a big name coach kind of thing. Is it time the coaches and assistants' salaries were brought under a salary cap, uh, either with the players or under a separate budget? So basically, should we regulate the salary that's paid to these guys? Should we have them on fixed scales? Given that they are tradable for other commodities... Should we then try and control that commodity a little bit more, I suppose? 
For context, there is quite a wide variety between what's being paid. Just in terms of head coaches, we've seen everything from like eight million to your Pete Carroll's all the way down to three and a half million for your Jack Del Rio's. Uh, one that surprised me: seven million for Jeff Fisher. <laughs> the fuck! Like I still maintain he has to have dirt on them. Like there's no way he was kept for that long and paid seven million dollars a year. We found out the familial relations in the front office. Maybe oh, of course, uh, but yeah, like this. This is one that. Trading of coaches is actually quite a rare occurrence in the NFL. It doesn't happen all that much. I suppose it's not that common. But it does bring another element, which I'll ask you guys to discuss now, which is, should given that salary caps are there to ensure you have not overpowering on one side on one team or another that you have the the, the draft then to re-equalise who gets the picks of new players to try and make the weakest teams uh, stronger the quickest like is this a scenario where we should be capping how much a team can spend on their managerial staff given that that will allow teams to offer more to players if they are a larger market team, if they can afford to it, if it's not capped. It's easier for a New York team to generate $9 million to attract a coach than it is for a Cleveland team to generate $9 million to attract a coach, yes? Well, I think there's an element of that, but like, it's not like none of these teams have money. So I think you know, if a team needs to pay $9 million to find a coach, it can certainly stump it up if necessary. Salaries are important, but I don't think they're the most important factor in, in attracting people. Like you, Coaches who are well-paid are good coaches, on good teams. It's not like bad teams are suddenly being like, oh, we'll throw you $20 million if you want to come and coach for us. Coaches don't make that decision because ultimately, while money is nice, it doesn't, if that money is useless, if you, well, it's not useless, but that, if that's a poor investment, if you it go somewhere It can be exchanged for goods and services. It can, it can. <laughs> but you, you, you can tarnish that investment if you go somewhere and it's a bad team and you flame out as a result of that, you know, that can really set you back in the long term financially. So I don't, I don't know if I agree from that perspective. I'm also not really sure if it's a problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, you have some guys who are overpaid that's just bad front office decisions you have some guys who are underpaid those guys will end up earning more like your Jack Del Rio whenever he gets his next contract is almost certainly going to be earning more than three and a half million yeah. a year given the way uh, given, given the way the Raiders have played in terms of like this balancing thing the, the, with the players it's a little bit different because it stops people from hoarding a load of superstars this is one guy it's not like people hoard superstar coaching staffs they're generally uh, head coaches will generally have a couple of coordinators they're used to working with or a guy who's brought in who might have washed out as a head coach or a guy who's coming up through the ranks it's not as if you see these sort of all-star, megastar teams being assembled because as soon as coordinators get good enough and get enough of a reputation, they will generally go and look for a head coaching position and look to move on, which will almost invariably involve leaving the team that they're with or the current head coach leaving the team that they're with. So I don't know if it's basically allowing teams to build around the coaches uh, just by financial for financial reasons. So I don't, I don't think it has the same potential as a team just buying up the market on players. You can't say offer Bill Belichick umpteen million dollars to come be your defence coordinator he's not going to do it he wants to be a head coach fair enough well if that's the case then Fitz should we then ban this idea of you can essentially bribe a contract back off another team in exchange for picks that we should just treat them as completely separate and this shouldn't be something that's allowed to be tradable in the league just yeah, that's, that, that kind of strange situation it's like are they basically like any other employee of the company like you know the janitors or the executives or whatever or are they like the players who are obviously under a very tightly controlled system due to a collective bargaining agreement for reasons due to the competitiveness of the league and various other issues like that? I think Harry points out a legitimate thing. It's not like 
uh, like a star defensive end can become a quarterback, but a star offensive coordinator or, or, or assistant can become a head coach. There is a kind of transferability of skills that isn't really there for anyone else on the team. To a certain extent, there is a level of equity there because when we talk about the salary cap for players, yes, it's been good for the sport as a whole, and yes, it, it's been great because it's created this kind of like churn and competition and prevented the hoarding and kind of situation you see in lots of other sports where the superstar teams basically roll over and become stronger every year. That's particularly a problem in European sports. But there is also the issue that is there because of cost control. The owners uh, uh, don't want to pay more money to their players. And it is a bit of a, like an issue when the coaches who get all of this money, and like, it's even more of an issue at the college level where the disparity is even more disgusting, mm-hmm. that these coaches get paid millions of dollars like they can be paid as much as they want, and it has no effect on the team. Nobody goes on about, oh, that coach got ten million dollars. That's terrible because to the average fan, it doesn't really that make much of a difference. It's basically a billionaire's like pocket change. But when a player asks for ten million, they're like, you're taking up our cap space. You're preventing us from getting this extension for this other player. Like these players had to leave because Joe Flacco got like thirty million a year or whatever like that. So there is a certain extent where the way that players are treated right now under the salary cap system, while Perhaps they're good for the league as overall, and also probably in terms of why it's there, as importantly to the owners, it keeps things under cost control. There is an issue where players are basically held to this high standard where they have to basically suck it up and be a good team player, or they're going to get criticised by coaches and by and by the fans as well, while coaches aren't subject to that same hypocrisy. And it's a bit hard to look at that when you consider that the, the demographics involved in being a coach... Uh, tend to be slightly more privileged overall. It's slightly different than the type of people who are players. So when you look at who ends up having the cost control imposed on them, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there that maybe kind of precipitated like an equity reason why uh, this question should be of interest. Yeah, like so. Th- there's a couple of different issues with this. Uh, obviously, as we said, it's kind of hard to figure out because it is it is a situation where they are separate from the area of picks. They're separate from the players kind of salaries and controls yet they're still tradable similarly so it almost commodifies the coaches to the organization similar to how the players are commodified to the organizations but in a way that's not really used all that much so to be honest, i wouldn't have a very strong opinion on this i'd say probably the easiest way is just not let them be tradable but yeah thanks for that noel we'll have a think about it um it's a it's a definitely an odd one not really one to really think about all that much mm. so uh we'll, we'll see if anything comes up might uh, might make more of it in the off season for you um so we're gonna move on to looking at the four playoff games that are coming up this week just before we get into that, I suppose we should do the final point of how our predictions went this year. I unfortunately came in last place. Uh, 152 to 104 for me, so that's a 0.594. Harry comes second with 159 to 97, that's 0.621. And Ronan wins with 165 to 91, that's 0.645. Uh, so well done, Ronan, on picking them games. On to our wildcard picks, I suppose. Uh, how do we fancy these? First up is, uh, oh God, uh, Oakland at Houston, Brock Lobster versus Connor Cook. Uh, pretty much confirmed for this game. ESPN, and I might have seen an article during mm. the week, uh, have to pay $100 million to show this. <laughs> and they're going to lose $75 million. They don't have an option. They have to do it. It's just, oh. Uh, this is 
Probably going to be the worst playoff game. Uh, this is not good. Um, no. Uh, like, we're looking at a third-string quarterback against the guy who was benched for Tom Savage is now playing. Osweiler's going to be playing because of Savage's concussion. Uh, Cook is playing because the Raiders... Denver Broncos beat the absolute shit out of Matt McGloin. Uh, the Raiders can take some culpability, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't great from the O-line. But, no, like, I don't think anyone's particularly excited for this one. No, not in the slightest. Just, just, just to give people the idea, we... We've gone kind of Houston across the board, and I'm still 50. I'm still kind of half tempted to take Oakland, just because Oakland are, have a better team than Houston. But Houston, you know, are at home, and they have a quarterback who's played a bit for them. Even while well, playing is probably a strong word. Yeah. Are there any matchups of interest in this apart from? I should know. There's not really any, is there? Well, I think what's going to be critical is I think both teams are obviously going to go run heavy. Uh, you'd kind of imagine, particularly Oakland. So the question is whether or not like guys like um, Benedict McKinney, Jadavian Clowney, and Whitney Merciless can shut down yeah. Oakland's run game because you know Connor Cook looked okay, but really doesn't look like the kind of guy who can win you a game, playoff game under this kind of pressure. Really, if Oakland can establish the run, they do have a chance. They do have a talented stable of running backs, but if they can't. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult for them. Whereas Houston, you feel, are the kind of team who are grindy enough that they'll be able to... I don't know, you just, you just think, like, Osweiler's got a little bit of experience. Like, we've seen they, they also have a decent run game. You feel like they can grind this one, you know? Mm. 27 passes to each tight end kind of thing. I've decided uh, to go for Oakland now, just now. Um, purely on the basis that I hate Houston, I hate a lot of their players, and Connor Cook is the same first name as me. Oh, There we go. Also, like, to be honest, I just... I, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer Oakland to get a consi- like a conciliatory win here, even though they've lost Carr, than to see this Houston team win a fucking playoff game. Do you know what I'm looking forward to? The next the game? divisional round. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god, Yay. please, please, Miami beat Pittsburgh so we get to play one of these shit shows. Like, <laughs> I'm okay playing Miami. Are <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's more the Pittsburgh that I'm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think we. I don't think we can play Pittsburgh. So I'm happy enough. There. No, you can't. You cannot end up playing Pittsburgh uh, because yeah. fuck it. Like I think you you said it at the start there. You said Oakland are a better team than Houston, but are they? Would I? Would I dare? Like Derek Carr has basically made that offense his own. And to be honest, with the exception of a couple of pieces like Khalil Mack, that team without Derek Carr, there's no one there who's really had an amazing season. Like Latavius Murray on the offense has been okay, but at other times has been overshadowed by DeAndre Washington and uh, Jalen Richard. And, you know, the offensive line has been good, but they'll need to be better than good to go up against what is, you know, a very, very good and like a very like the kind of underrated that JJ Watt Houston front line, as Harry pointed out. Like I think it's worrying for Oakland to a certain extent. Without Derek Carr, they are actually probably bad, maybe even a bad team, at best an average team. And to to, to Houston's credit, this I, year they uh, have been good at beating average teams. They swept their their division. So I think for me, those are the type of teams that Houston. And like with, with Bill O'Brien, who has done a good job considering the quarterback he's been handed, are the type of team that Bill O'Brien will be able to scheme around and will be able to take the win. I think Jack Del Rio has shown a lot of good things this season, but Jack Del Rio's entire approach was based on a kind of big, big swinging Mickey type of like all-out action way. But with Connor Kick, you just can't do that. So I think Houston have had to deal with the nonsense at quarterback all season, and they should be able to build around that. Oakland have not, and didn't look like they were able to do it in the last week of the season. So for me, Houston really uh, are, are a strong favorite to my mind. Yeah, um, yeah. Just overall, Houston, I don't like. 
Oakland I don't like. I prefer Oakland's team to Houston's team. Uh, don't don't underestimate how big a drop off it is to just have Brock Lobster be your quarterback. Uh, look, that's enough on that game. That game is fucking garbage. Don't bother watching it. It's on Saturday, so we're going to. But probably or John Gruden. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we've got Detroit at Seattle. We've taken Seattle across the board. I've already made it quite clear what I think of this Detroit team. They haven't beaten a team that's won more than eight games this year. I don't think they stand a chance going up here to CenturyLink Field. Anyone disagree? No, I think that's that's pretty much it. Like they're they're a decent team, but like they, they do have a chance if their defense can click, and if they were at home, you know, you might be willing to give them a bit more of a chance. But it's such a difficult place to play. It's a Seattle team that's been wobbly, very wobbly recently. But in brief, you know, there isn't really much you can see there. I'd say yeah, the Lions definitely have an advantage here, particularly away from home. Yeah, Century uh, Link, which is one of the loudest uh, stadiums in the country, uh, is. <laughs> Ever since Errol Thomas went down, that defense has gone from probably, you know, generally considered one of the better defenses in the league to probably being, like, above average, like, still good, but not the best anymore. Because, basically, they, they like, Errol Thomas is one of those foundational pieces that fits into the way that they play football on the defense. Like, they have the, the high free safety is integral to most of the base formations that they work out of. Steve Terrell is as fast in terms of his top-line speed, but he doesn't have the same recognition. He doesn't see the same plays. He takes bad pursuit angles, hasn't been involved in giving up a number of very long touchdowns to opposing teams. And the Seattle defense has traditionally been based on that bend-don't-break philosophy. And since Errol Thomas went down, it has broke down far too often. The one good thing they saw, particularly in Week 17, and to a lesser extent against against the Arizona Cardinals Week 16, was that the defensive line does seem to be coming back into shape. Michael Bennett coming off his injury seems to be back to form. Uh, Cliff Averill has been good all season. Players like Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, Tony McDaniel have been good as well. So if they can get enough pressure on Matt Stafford, maybe that'll be enough to compensate. It can't be underestimated how shaky Seattle have been down the stretch. They got blown out by the Green Bay Packers. They lost a close game to an Arizona Cardinals team, which is really below par. And then they really just only about pushed back San Francisco in Week 17. So Seattle isn't a team coming in with a lot of confidence. I think the big thing for them is can they establish the run game against Detroit? I think Thomas Rawls has been injured, hasn't really looked himself. Alex Collins has done something for the last few weeks. And then CJ Prosides, to be back in time, looked very explosive before he went down with an injury. So the massive question marks in that running game makes Seattle like, somewhat vulnerable on the offense as well. And Russell Wilson, it can't be underestimated that he has had a down year. And even though Detroit is the one you have more question mark, quarterback questions about because of Matt Stafford's finger injury, don't underestimate that uh, Russell Wilson hasn't been the same player that we thought he would be coming into December. He's usually considered to be strong towards the end of the season. This season, not so much. So I think this is probably two of the least convincing teams in the playoffs except for those who are, are obviously unconvincing due to their quarterbacks so I think if the teams that you would consider actually good these are two teams that probably have the most question marks and uncertainty about who they really are yeah no of course like I said I my, my pick for Seattle and this is based more on my deep distrust of Detroit than my belief in Seattle if you were playing anyone else in this round uh, we'd be having a much more deep discussion and uh, next up Miami at Pittsburgh we've Taking Pittsburgh across the board, I'm again hemming and hawing, but after seeing that Miami performance this week, I don't think I can really back them. This is going to be the first playoff game that that, uh, Ben, Bell and Brown are all playing together. First one ever. Kind of exciting. Uh, I think they've won eight and lost two games when they've played together this year, so that's not bad. What do we think about this one? I think these are two teams that have been schizophrenic and have performed well and performed badly at different times. Pittsburgh looked to be rounding a bit, but also didn't look 100% convincing. What's your take on this one, Harry? I think that's probably a fair assessment. We've got 
a Pittsburgh team that, like you say, can be incredibly explosive, but a Pittsburgh team that also has at times completely disappeared um, and has made games difficult for itself. You would have to favour them based on, you know, what the top end can be. You have to assume that this team is going to be able to put it together in the playoffs, and you have to assume that the form we saw in the second half of the game against Baltimore, obviously, will be able to, to be replicated in the playoffs. Miami have much less of a high ceiling, and it's not as if they're more consistent. Like, with Matt Moore at quarterback... Um, God knows. He's, yeah, like he's he's not awful, and that's about the best you can say about it. He's he's fine. Um, I'd probably say the same thing to be fair. If Ryan Tannehill was was the quarterback at this stage, they mm. they don't have a guy who can definitely take over games for them. Again, it's about establishing the run game. It's about can they get JHI going? But Pittsburgh have looked reasonably good against the run this season, so that's going to be a tough one for them. I think is it, one of two things going to happen. Either Pittsburgh are going to run away with this because they're a good enough team if everything gets clicking that they can throw all over that Miami secondary, and you know Miami's defense has gone completely missing at times if it's oh, a yeah. close game though that's where Miami have a chance that becomes more of a grind if Pittsburgh can't get things going we see it before Rothsburg gets frustrated he starts lobbing it downfield when he's got no business doing so hanging on for it way way too long in the pocket taking hits getting hurt getting sacks that's the kind of game Miami can win if Miami are able to frustrate Pittsburgh early we could see that happening at that point they do have a chance to play conservative sensible football and hold on to a lead you, yeah you, you do think Pittsburgh just on the basis of what they can do and the fact that they can win this game easily is there but you can't really fully count out Miami but I think a lot of things have to go right for them and wrong for Pittsburgh yeah. for them to be in a position to take it like this is the thing, so it's one, of, one, one of the things we've heard quite a bit during this week have been Miami beat Pittsburgh earlier in the season but they were in very different places at that time bizarrely Miami were in a far worse place then as well yeah. but yeah it is, it is one of those ones that I think if they can get their run game going and they can control possession that's the kind of thing that frustrates this this Pittsburgh offense a lot but the problem is just Pittsburgh they've got so many ways to beat you at the moment it's hard to imagine unless that Miami defense is just all locked in and ready to go I, it's hard to imagine them being able to stop the multitude of weapons that'll be coming at them. Like I think in terms of game script, you're going to see Pittsburgh push Lev Bell down their throat. They've done that a few times this season, uh, often to incredible effect. And I think that's like that defensive front is going to have to earn their paychecks, very significant paychecks. And obviously, there are a lot of players in that defensive front who are considered to be inconsistent or you know uh, difficult to motivate. And Tommy and Sue among them. Primary job is can they stop Lev Bell on the ground? Because if they can't stop Lev Bell, Pittsburgh are going to run all over them, both figuratively and literally, and it's not going to be very pretty. So I think it'll, it'll all start in that first quarter. I think the tone is going to be set in the first quarter, and you're going to have a very good idea of how this game's going to turn out. But even if Miami pull it down, don't be surprised if Pittsburgh do what they did to the Ravens and pull out a couple of fast quick hit strikes and put up touchdowns very quickly. Miami will never be comfortable in this game, even if they're ahead. They will need to watch out because Ben Roethlisberger, uh, when he's on fire, can basically come back from any situation almost. So I think look out for that first quarter, uh, and if it isn't turning out too well, you can probably turn it off and do something more productive with your Sunday afternoon than watch Pittsburgh just beat up Miami. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you can save your energy for the, the for the last game, which is a lot more intriguing. Yeah, to be honest, I'll I'll still be there. I'll be taking notes. I always send them over to Andy the following day. Uh, don't know if he uses them, but hey, you know, every little helps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we've just got a bit of breaking news there. It's actually something I mentioned on a previous uh, podcast that uh, has just happened. People have just... Uh, which, which team was it, Harry? Uh, the Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers have just asked to uh, interview Dave Tall, the special teams coach for, uh, for KC, for their head coaching job. Interesting start point, but I did say I was expecting to see potentially someone looking to interview him for something of a larger job. Can you bring Tyreek Hill with him, I think, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> 
wait, so how did you find this guy? <laughs> um, our final game now for, for this weekend, and uh, probably the one that everyone's looking forward to most this weekend, I think. Uh, nope. New-, <laughs> <laughs> new York Giants at Green Bay. Harry's taking Green Bay, Fitz taking Green Bay. I've taken New York Giants. Ho ho, excitement. Uh, this is the first one that we've actually got proper. Oh, I suppose I took Oakland the first one, but that's it, yeah. You were quite bullish on, on these guys earlier, Fitz. You think Green Bay are just going to roll it, don't you? To a certain extent, I do. Like, I, I you know, I, I said in the reviews not to focus too much on the New York Giants defense because I think we're going to talk about it a lot right now. Um, but that, that is the ultimate test here. Like, Aaron Rodgers, I think as you mentioned, has come up against uh, some decent defenses, but not probably the elite defenses. And the New York Giants defense has been the probably the best in the division right now. But, like, to my eye, to what I've seen over the last uh, six weeks as they've run the table, Green Bay, uh, Aaron Rodgers is at the peak of, like, is near his, like, Super Bowl winning peak and, and the uh, 15-1 season they had afterwards when literally an Aaron Rodgers tier and there was everyone else. Even at the time when Peyton Manning was putting up, you know, 50 touchdowns and Tom Brady was still Tom Brady, he was still visibly and obviously better than any other quarterback in the league. So, like, I won't talk too much about it because obviously I've, I've sung its praises already. But in this, he does get his ultimate test. And for a four versus six seed, uh, like, matchup, like, you know, both teams that you'd be like, if they won the Super Bowl, you wouldn't be like, oh, what a shock. You'd be like, yeah, I could see that happening. Some of that's a bit of a history, but some of that comes down to the fact that there is so much talent on both these teams. You're going to see a, you know, a slobber knocker of a game here. And it's all about whether that the immovable object can be defeated by the unstoppable force, the unstoppable force of Aaron Rodgers. Um, like the New York Giants defense, uh, I'll leave the Harry talk about more, but for me, this is the most interesting like matchup-based approach. Can Aaron Rodgers overcome a defense that has stuffed every good team in the league, including the Dallas Cowboys? And irrespective of who wins this, and assuming Seahawks win, the Dallas Cowboys are going to have a tough old game, and it's going to be a good old game in the divisional round. Uh, so I think like I, I've covered all these teams already in the reviews, but I think that's the matchup to watch out for, and I think it'll be really, really good. No, of course. Wonder yourself, Harry. Uh, yeah, see, I don't like this because the last two times the uh, the Giants played the uh, Packers in the postseason, they beat them and then won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. So uh, history, repeat. history repeat. is not on my side here because they beat them in the, they beat them in the divisional round, they beat them in the championship game, and now they can beat them in the wild card and complete the trifecta. Like the Giants' defense, as Ron alluded to, has been very, very, very good. Um, has been exceptional this season. Guys like Dominic Rodgers, Cromarty and uh, Landon Collins have massively improved the play in the secondary. We know their front seven is good. We knew that going into the season. But overall, as a unit, they've really come together and incredibly cohesive. However, when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers playing the way he does, it's very difficult to, no matter how good your defense is, you have to always believe a guy like that is going to be able to find a way to, to pick his way through it in terms of where it comes from. Like, I'm saying Green Bay on the basis of, you know, I, I just think when this team gets hot, you can't pick against them. But you never know what's going to happen in a game like this. Um, you never know if that defense is going to be able to get pressure. And that's the thing. Rodgers has thrived because he's had really, really good protection. If that protection isn't able to hold up that well against the Giants' pass rush, and it's one of the most dangerous pass rushes in the league, that's where we're going to see something different. And that's where we could see Rodgers struggle, and we could see him struggle to have the time and space he needs to improvise to be able to pull those plays out. Uh, if he's just getting hit. With that said, I think we've seen a Giants team that maybe discovered a running game, but the Packers have been quite tough against the run. But a Giants team that has struggled through the air, even with Odell Beckham, even with Sterling Shepard. Eli Manning has not been good. Even if the Giants are able to shut Green Bay down a bit, it's still going to be very difficult for to run away with this game and to make something where they can pick Green Bay apart. Because for all Green Bay's struggles on the back end, the Giants, really, other than like splash plays from Odell Beckham, have struggled consistently to generate an aerial offense this season. 
So on that basis, I, I, I'd say you have to give the edge to Green Bay. I don't know if I'm perhaps as you know bullish on them as Ronan is, but I think given those factors, you kind of have to have to side with them. Yeah, no, of course. Like it is, it is one of those. I'm, I'm taking uh, New York in this one, but my rationale is just. I think it's been tomato cans they've been beating. I think Aaron Rodgers is playing excellently, but I think that is made easier by the fact he hasn't faced the pass rushes and the defences that we'd like to see. But the other thing is, even if they're doing well on offence, I don't think their defence has the ability to stop this New York team. I look at the amount of points they've allowed, even on their run here, allowed crap teams to score. They let the Bears score 27 points against them. This week, they allowed the Lions to score 24 on them. The Lions team are far worse on offense than the Giants have been. The Giants might have a running game established here as well. They have a stronger defense than these other teams have had. Prior to that, they were allowing 42 points to the Mazungus, 47 to the Titans. This is not a strong defense that will allow opportunities for New York to come at them as well. Now, I think this is an extremely strong offensive team from Green Bay. But I'm not sure if they go toe-for-toe where offense versus offense, defense versus defense, whether the difference between their offenses is greater than the difference between their two defenses. I will say one thing to that is that the Giants haven't topped 30 points this season. They're not a high-scoring team. Well, they tried to, well, They don't necessarily have to be if their defense can step up. That's true. It is one of the ones that I think the potential is there. I think a lot of times people don't turn it on until they have these big games. Green Bay offense looked dog shit until the last six games where they had to turn it on. I think it's going to be very entertaining. I can see it go either way. I just, I think this is a proper challenge and I think Green Bay will struggle to remember what that's like because it's been nearly two months since they maybe saw one of those. It should be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be so fucking tired on Monday morning. <laughs> what time is this one playing at for us? Is this 1am or is this... It's Saturday that's the 1am game. On Sunday, oh, that's it's the fine. 9 o'clock game. That's fine, that's fine. Uh, won't be won't be too bad. So yeah, so I suppose if we look at this scenario then as well, I suppose we'll talk about this next week. But uh, who does this leave us facing then? The next one. This would mean you would be facing Houston if Houston win that one. Yeah, we would be facing Pittsburgh. That's a sweet little matchup right there, isn't it? That'll be a fucking great mm-hmm. one because we'll be out, we'll be out for revenge after what happened last time. Then what would it be in the NFC? So we're saying. Atlanta. Seattle at Atlanta would be one of them, and then it yeah. would be Detroit versus New York Giants or, or Green Bay, probably Green Bay based on our predictions. Yeah. So if Seattle win, it'll be whoever wins the New York Giants uh, or Green Bay game will face the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Two, okay. I think those are two very good games. Yeah. Making. No, those are, those would be very exciting. Now. So it should be, uh, should yeah, be should fun. Be fun. Start of the season, who did I predict for the AFC Championship? Uh, I, think we, I think I had the same one as well. Patriots and the Chiefs, yeah. Yeah, I think I had the same Patriots and Chiefs. Um, I don't even remember who. We'll, we'll, we'll look it up now. No, we won't look it up because my NFC prediction was very bad. <laughs> Still, we've yet to bring you the, uh, the the Pro Bowl Hype Edition podcast, which will be coming to you soon uh, in advance of the Pro Bowl, the greatest game of football to ever be played. Every year, it's just better than the last year. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a football version of an exponential curve. It's, a, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So any plans for this week, lads, other than obviously a weekend of soccer or not soccer, football? Why? I don't even watch soccer. My brain's fried. It's the first day back at work today, so it's been uh, a long yeah. day. Takes its toll on you. <laughs> no, Everyone's just in that kind of uh, back New Year, kind of all those resolutions down the drain. Yeah, uh, before we finish up fully, I would like to mention my yearly thing you don't. One of my yearly 
things no one cares about, but I, I keep track of anyway, Country. which is the team mentions board. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, during the year, I keep track of uh, how many times a team gets mentioned per week. Uh, a mention is either in the news, in a question, or, or in a game review. And obviously this year we brought in the pick of the week, which also qualified. That's a new little wrinkle that brought in this year. Uh, and in terms of the top three teams that were mentioned, the number one team was the Denver Broncos with 16. Actually, the reigning champion, they were mentioned 15 times last year. Then we had three new entrants. Uh, so we had a tie-in for the third best. Uh, Dallas had 13 mentions this year, and Atlanta and KC were tied at 12 mentions apiece. Uh, and then to the bottom feeders, uh, Cincinnati were only mentioned three times this year. Uh, Pac-Man Jones doesn't count as a mention. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they were joint with Chicago, who is the reigning second bottom team. They had five mentions last year. Uh, so Willem had three mentions apiece. And then the New York Jets managed to just get out of that bottom category with the game review this week uh, and ended up on four mentions for the year. So sorry to Cincinnati, Chicago, and New York Jets. You are bad, but not always bad enough to be in the uh, dumpster fire, unlike teams like LA, San Francisco, etc. Uh, that's really what gets them over the line. Well done, Denver. Commiserations, Cincinnati, and Chicago. Hopefully you guys can have a more interesting year next uh, next year. <laughs> that's very good, very good. Uh, you, you and your stats. But yeah, no, it should be good fun. So anything else with yourselves, lads? No? No, I, I've just discovered, I was actually looking at my schedule after that, and apparently I have to bilocate on Saturday, which I'm not looking forward to. Bilocate or on Saturday? because I've got to watch the football and be at two birthday parties. Oh, that's always fun. Don't know that's going to work out, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to gear up, see now, I think I'm going to head to this uh, stag do with uh, Fitz in two or three weeks' time. Which will be yeah. uh, it'll make for an interesting weekend because we're going to travel up to Carlingford for uh, for Vincent's uh, stag do. Vincent, the perennial last placer in one of our fantasy football leagues, but yeah, that's on the Saturday, and we'll be coming back on the Sunday Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I'll so probably I'll backing, probably be hosting something there now. So backing a by. backing a stag do into the Super Bowl seems like a great way to be alive. Yeah, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'm willing to accept the damage to my house, so you can, you can come over here. Uh, we'll have a bit of fun, sure, we'll work something out. Hands. May need the Monday off, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've already booked it. Yeah. So we, we, have, we, we have a calendar in, in work for, like, it kind of go, oh, it's just open up next year's one. The first thing in it was me booking off the Monday after the Super Bowl. I actually need to sort it out when I get back to work this week as well. Uh, I might take a couple of days. To so. be fair, you, also, like, you worked over the whole Christmas period, so you should be able to... Use some of the goodwill from that. Yeah, oh, no, there shouldn't be any issue. Like, I, mm. uh, I, I'll get it booked out early, and I'll probably do. Yeah, I might get some. Might book the day before, maybe prep some food and things like that as mm, well. Oh no, it's it. Saturday the day before. Might take a Friday anyway, because fuck it. Yeah, why the fuck not? Uh, or maybe just take the Tuesday too. Yeah, because then we will presumably, if we're up, we might do a live pod. All of us in the house. Yeah, well, I've got four. I've got four holidays. So five holidays carried over. So I might as well use those. Exactly. I, I know for the Americans, it's very confusing to have the concept of holidays. holidays. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So I suppose oh, that'll do for today from us. We'll uh, keep your questions a lot when the coming in. Uh, we'll keep you covered on what happens in all the games. So we'll uh, sort you out next week. So it's bye from me, bye from Harry. Goodbye. Bye from Ronan. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.